Good morning, church. We're gonna oh, hi. We're gonna go into a scripture reading. So the passage this morning is 1 Corinthians 12. It'll be up on the screens. So you can pull out your phones. I'm gonna start in verse 12 and go to verse 27, and I'm reading from NIV. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there, that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen. Thank you, Becca. Good morning. I'm Mike. I'm part of the pastoral team here. One of my favorite things about church is the church. You. And, and it's not something we talk a lot about. And... Uh, this fall, we're going to talk about what is the church, a series called Unbrandable. That's a fun one to try to brand. But um, who are we? You know, and, and who are we really? What is Paul? Why does Paul take the time in 1 Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians and Colossians to talk about this image of the body? Somehow it's important to him. Somehow it's important to God. And one of the things in our, our world, we've, it seems that we've lost sight of that, or maybe we just didn't know it or weren't familiar with it. Growing up as a kid, listening to my papa preach or the pastors where we attended, this was a familiar passage. And, and you may or may not know depending on how long you've been a Christian, how well you've read the Bible, that when you became a Christian, you became part of the body of Christ. I've often asked the question of people, who did you get saved for? Well, the obvious answer is me. 
But the truth is, we got saved for each other as well. We got saved for the world as well. Because with Christ within us, we become part of each other. We become a witness to the world, and we become a witness to each other. And so, you may not know it, but you're sitting next to family. We don't do this very much. We've talked about it recently as a way to kind of reconnect after COVID and all these things. But I'd like you to just take a minute, if we can get the house lights up, take a minute and just turn to somebody and introduce yourself. Now, preferably, not your wife or your husband, but somebody you don't know. Okay? Now, this is a short exercise, like 30 seconds. So, go. Okay, if I get your attention back. Isn't that a great sound? Thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six. I knew this was tricky. Okay, if I can get your attention back, we'll continue on. How many of you just met somebody for the first time? Raise your hand. I want you to look around. Keep your hands up and look around. Okay, you can put them down. What a bummer. So Paul says we're family, that we need to know one another. Why? Why is that so critical to God? Why should I know you? Well, maybe we're cousins. I don't know. But we're called to know each other in such a way, not just, hi, I'm Mike, but, hi, I care about you. Hi, I love you. Hi, can I defend you? Hi, can I serve with you? And that's something I think we've lost sight of in the body of Christ. And maybe we didn't know it because, of, like I said, we haven't been in the body that long. But Paul says, you're not like a body, you are the body of Christ. In Ephesians it says that Christ is the head of the body, but he's also the supreme king and lord of all. He's lord of more than just the body, but he is lord of the body. And that's important for us to to get a grip on. See, none of the cells or organs or in, in any of our bodies are the body by themselves. In fact, they can't even live outside of the body. You've got an amazing organ called a heart. I had mine worked on last year. And I've seen pictures of the crazy thing pumping away. But they had a time limit when they could cut it off from the rest of the body or it would die. 
the most powerful organ that keeps me going, that keeps the blood pumping through our veins, without the rest of the body, is worthless. A lot of people look at Nick, who was getting on a ferry last I talked to him this morning at, uh, up in Washington Island in the Door County with his family. He says hi, then he said bye. <laughs> um, we look at him as, as the most important in the church. He's not. He's the mouth. We look at somebody who comes in and cleans communion cups, and we don't even know that they do that. Did you know that for, I don't know how many years, decades, there were four women that got together every Friday morning and, and put the bulletin together? They just sat in the staff room over here and talked and had coffee and, and did that. And we just came in and used the bulletin. It was wonderful. How'd that happen? Well, part of the body put it together so that you could enjoy it and benefit from it. We need each other. And, and that's, that's so critical to wrap our, our head around. Because as Scripture said, you know, if an ear thinks it's the big deal and all you can do is hear, that's a problem. Or if all we can do is see, that's a problem. If I twist my ankle, I can't move around, so it doesn't matter if I can see everything because I can only see what's in front of me. I need my ankles to move my feet so I can get around so that my body can function and see and do multiple things. We're, we're connected. The other image is the family. And in the family, Paul talks about in Ephesians, 1 Timothy, 2 Corinthians, Jesus talked about it in Matthew, 1 John talks about it. And he says we're brothers and sisters. Now, one of the things that's important to understand here is you don't get to choose your three primary relationships, actually four. You don't get to choose the family you're born into. Some of you may like your family, some of them are like, huh. My youngest daughter continually asked us all through high school, are you sure I'm not adopted? <laughs> no, you're ours. Your smarts came from us. Yeah. And, and she had to be convinced sometimes because she was just very different than Jocelyn and Estelle and I. We liked to adventure. She liked to plan. She wanted to know. The last question every night was, what are we doing tomorrow? I don't know. Waking up. That wasn't enough for the kid. She wanted more. You can't choose the neighbors that you have. Why does Jesus stress love your neighbor? Because you have to learn to do it. You have to choose to do it. You're there to build community, but you're also there as a Christian to ex explain through your life actions what it means to be Christian, what it means to love your enemy, what it means to love your neighbor. I had a friend who moved into a cul-de-sac and he found out everybody in the cul-de-sac were Christians. He said, isn't that great? And I said, no, you should move. You're no good there. You're safe, but you're no good. You're not a witness. He just looked at me like I was crazy. The third relationship is you can't choose the God that you love and you serve because he chose you. There's only one God, regardless of what culture might want us to believe. There's only one true God. 
and, and we get to adjust to him. We get to choose to follow him. And the fourth that I mentioned is your body. I didn't choose this body. Some of you didn't. Some of you are proud of it. That's great. Lucky you. But the rest of us have to adapt to it. We have to learn to function in it. We have to learn to live in it. And that means that we deny things and we take on things. It means we exercise and it means we do certain things. And we have to adapt and learn. And, and Paul is stressing those two images of the body and the family to help us understand that you may not get along with everybody in the body of Christ. And God says a big, so? Or maybe even, so what? Get over it. Learn to love one another. And with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. Because we take on the characteristics, Christ-like attitude, so that we can love each other. We can appreciate one another. We can learn that we're family. We can learn that we're body, so intricately involved with each other that if we don't function together, we die. What do you call a body that is only 70% working? Dead. You know what the average in America of volunteerism in a church is 20%? And we wonder why our churches are floundering? What would happen if each one of us determined today that you were going to do something that was necessary and was something you could learn to enjoy that was good for the body of Christ? What would happen to High Point? Now, High Point thank you so much because we range in more of the 40 50 percent of you volunteer to do something and that's one of the reasons we've grown that's one of the reasons we're healthy that's one of the reasons we've got 50 small groups why because people have committed to coming together to get to know each other get to love each other to get to open god's word together to be accountable to one another so that there's life so that there's growth to learn to pray together to learn to take meals together, to learn to go mow a lawn or to shovel snow if somebody's down and can't do it. We do those things and there's great reports, but that's still only half of the body. It's not enough. We've got a world out here around us that needs us to function fully as the body of Christ. And if we choose to do that, we're robbing ourselves of God's goodness for us. We're robbing somebody else for what we should be providing for them. And we're saying no to the opportunity of being a whole image of Christ to our community. And as Nick said in the video, we can't do that. And we can't do that because God says, don't. He says, function and be a body because we are the representation of Christ to the world. Now, I get it. One of the hardest things to lay down is our independence. After all, we're Americans. We are built 
on our independence. We are built on the individual, my choices, the things that I bring to the table. And now we've taken it so far that we have my truth. No, we don't. We have one truth, and we bring our lives in line with that truth. We bring our lives in line with each other as we seek to learn and to follow this truth. And it's difficult. If I ask the, how many of you are busy, every hand would go up. But the truth of the matter is you choose what you want to do. We each only have 24-7. We each only can give 100%. Nobody in the room can give 110%. It's just impossible. And we choose to be about the things that we're a part, that we want to do every day. So the question then is, what do you choose? What do you choose to do? One of the things when people come in and they're, especially if they're anxious, lack of rest is a great recipe for anxiety. Being driven too many directions is part of that recipe for anxiety. So one of the exercises I invite people to do is take a week-long schedule, and it's best if you can divide it into hunks of 15 minutes, but if you want to do 30 minutes, that works too. And write down at the end of the day your schedule in 15 or 30-minute blocks. What did you actually do? And then take some time on Sunday afternoon and look back at your week and find what you did and you didn't do. I've never had an exercise done by somebody who didn't find at least eight to 12 hours of time that they had that they didn't know they had. Now sometimes we also have to ask the question is what I did what I should have been doing? And that increases how many how many hours of TV do you watch? How many movies do you go to a week? Well, there's nothing wrong with TV and nothing wrong with movies, unless it takes away from you being a person. How many YouTube videos can you watch in a day? How much time on social media should you be using? How much mindless facts do we know just to fill our time and space so we don't have to get next to somebody who we call our brother or sister and ask the question, how are you holding up today? And then shutting up and listen. And maybe crying, maybe laughing, maybe offering to pray with them because we're too busy. That's a lie. You are not too busy to do what God asked you to do he created us. He knows our capacity. He knows what's good for us. So when he says you're connected to each other, that must be a really good thing. And it's up to us to adapt to that. It's not up to us to say, you know, that would have been great, but I'm just too busy. I don't know what Paul was thinking. He sure didn't understand what my life was going to be like. 
So I've just kind of redlined that verse out. It just doesn't work for me. The other problem is that if I get to know you, I have to let you know me. What if I get to know you and you're actually better at something than I am? What if my wife thinks you're better at something than I am? And worse, is you get to know who I am. I don't necessarily want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I post. I want you to know what you see. Because then I control the fallback. But see, there's no accountability in that. There's no room for growth. There's no room for me to become who God intended for me to be. See, when I isolate myself, I get lonely. Number one mental health issue in America right now is loneliness. That should never be a factor in the church. Well, I'm an introvert. Then find one person, one cell, and get next to them. Because we're meant to talk. We're meant to listen. We're meant to care. We're meant to have compassion. We're meant to say, you said you were a Christian, but your behavior is taking you away from Jesus, not moving you towards him. What's going on? Is there something I can walk with you in? Is there something I can come alongside of you because it seems like you're struggling right now? See, loneliness isn't one of the gifts of the Spirit. Fellowship, love, care, compassion, unity. Those are things that the Bible talks about. We all carry hurt, disappointment, frustration. Some of us don't believe the church could actually do anything. Some of us have put our stock in leaders instead of Jesus. And we got disappointed. If you follow a person, you're going to get disappointed. Because people are people. We all fail. We all need each other. I got caught a couple weeks ago. Every Wednesday night this summer, don't ask what the score was, but Sean and I have been playing in a, in a golf league. And some have asked, you know, how do you, hurt, how do you, how do you golf with your back? I don't. I golf with my hands. And 
and it hurts. But if I didn't golf, I would just be home by myself during that time, and that's not an option. So I golf because it's fun. I enjoy it. And so Sean called me in April, and he said, hey, there's a, there's a two-man golf league. We play another two guys in a match play. It's 14 weeks long. Want to play? And I said, man, that'd be a lot of fun. It was 400 bucks for the summer. It was about 23 bucks a round or something, plus some prize money and the barbecue at the end. And he said, you got to have half of it paid up before we start and the other half by July 15th. I said, great. So I went and stopped by the golf course and paid my one half. And, and I went to pay my second half, and the guy says, it's paid. And your cart fee is paid too. And I'm like, Sean, did you pay that? And he goes, yeah. I can, it's fine, don't worry, it'll be great. So we played, and about four weeks ago, I could only play seven out of the nine holes. And I just hurt too bad. I said to Sean in the parking lot, I said, you know, if you want to get somebody else to play that's more competitive right now, I get it. Um, that's fine. And he looked at me and he said, do you think that's why we're out here? And looking out, he'd been golfing this year. He's usually a decent golfer. I said, well, obviously not. And uh, he said, you love golf. You love being with people. And so I got you out here to do that. And they didn't know what to say. See, being a pastor and a caregiver all my life, I don't receive very well. It's hard. And that night, I text Sean back, and I, I said, man, you got me. I'm not a very good receiver, and I didn't know what to say when you, you just blessed me. And I had to repent to God, and I had to repent to Sean, and, and learn to say thank you with no other explanation and to receive God's blessing to me from a brother in Christ. And sometimes being part of the body is, is awkward. It's, it's difficult. Sometimes we hurt each other. Anybody other than me, I'll raise my, if I had through more hands, I'd raise them too. Anybody ever hurt anybody with your words? Yeah, don't put them up too high. <laughs> Church hurt is some of the worst hurt in the world because in the back of our minds, we know they're supposed to be loving. And, they, and then they come out with this stupid statement. Or they walk by us and don't, don't acknowledge us. Or a million other things. I was on an airplane. I have no clue where I was going, but... This guy sits down next to me, and it was when I was with Billy Graham, and he says, what do you do? Real extrovert type guy. And I said, I work for Billy Graham. That's always a stopper or a starter. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, I'm an atheist. And I said, okay, Jesus, not out loud, but in my mind, I said, help. And what came out of my mouth next was, 
you must never have really known God or you would have liked him, or it was church hurt. And his face just went blank. And he said, how did you know? I said, because Christians can be mean. And he began to weep. And he told me this pretty horrific story about being in leadership at a church and being attacked by people that he thought were his friends. And, and it didn't just drive him out of the church, it drove him away from God. And I said, man, I am so sorry. But let's get your eyes back on where they belong. Let's get them back on Jesus. See, Jesus didn't disappoint you. People did. And once we got that settled, and we had a really delightful flight talking about Jesus and the Bible, and he was quite learned. He was just hurt because we know we're supposed to trust each other. We know we're supposed to be able to share and be heard and loved. We're supposed to understand what the word confidentiality actually does mean. And that the only person we get to talk to without permission is God. Sometimes we just think that this world is so crazy, let's just bar the doors. And we forget that we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be an outpost of light in the darkness. And a light is no good in a lit, in a lit room. It only is good in the darkness. And that's what you're called to be. But not individually, well that too, but collectively. We're a church. We're the body of Christ. But not just us, the other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in Madison are also part of the body of Christ. That's why Nick and I spend time with other pastors and every once in a while we'll have a, a service with other churches because they're our brothers and sisters. When Harold, Pastor Zimmerich over at Asbury last winter made a decision for the gospel against some of the progressive theology that was invading his church and half of his church left after 17 years. We talked with him, we walked with him and and we, we gave them a gift, he and his wife, so they could escape and refresh for three or four days. And he just wept. He said, I've never known the body of Christ in Madison to do that for another pastor. Shame on us. We're the body of Christ. We're to love one another. Every time you go down the street and you pass another church, be praying for them. Those are God's people. And if they're not God's people, they think they are and they need to come to Jesus. But pray either way. That's why Boyd could pray for missionaries around the world because they belong to us and we belong to them. That's why there's been billions of people. And Hebrews says there's a cloud of witnesses watching us, those who have gone before us, and someday we will be part of that cloud and we'll be watching those who are coming behind us because we're the church of Jesus Christ. And he is the head and he is Lord and he is God. 
But if we don't love one another right here in this room, if we don't serve together and take care of each other, we'll miss so much of what God has for us. See, there's this other thing that a body has to do, and that's called responsibility. You have to eat. You have to drink fluid, good fluid. You have to exercise. You have to do the things that make you strong. I've told this story before. Esther would just ask me the first two years of marriage, you been in the Word today? You taken time to talk with the Father? It made me mad. I was a pastor. Well, what really made me mad was I hadn't. And she had. Finally, I said, why do you ask me that? And she said, because your mother asked you to eat your, asked, always asked, did you eat your vegetables? Did she want to just poison you with peas? No, she wants you to be healthy. I want you to be healthy. I want you in the word. I want you in prayer. I want you in fellowship with, with your buddies because it keeps me safe as a wife. I know what you're like without Jesus, and it's ugly. So get in the word. She meant it. 44, 43 and a half years later, she still asked me. The woman has tenacity. <laughs> and I am healthier because of it. Because I'm not meant to do this by myself. What time is it? Many of us have gotten too comfortable as the church, or too comfortable with the church being an organization instead of an organism. Do you go to church, or are you part of the church? That's an important distinction in your mind. Each one of us are the church. Collectively, but a part of. And it's critical. You are incredibly unique. Do you realize where this passage is? What's the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 right above it? It talks about what? Spiritual gifts. And then it talks about the body. And then what comes? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And then it goes back to 14, back to the gifts. Because the gifts are God's way of taking care of us, of speaking to us, and, and helping us love one another and, and listen to each other. And he says, those are so important because you're the body, and this is where it takes place. And then he says, and the attitude that we do it in is love, not thinking you're the big shot, but you're just a person next to the person Otherwise, you're just a noisy gong. And then he goes back to more of the gifts. Because he wants us to understand that when we interact with each other, it's based in love, and it's based in the necessity to interact with each other. It's not a mistake that it's right there. It's called context. And if we pull it out outside of those things, we miss so much. Why is it so important that we're a body? 
so that we can exercise the gifts of God one to another in the attitude of love. That's why it's so important that we understand we're a body. Otherwise, we are just a whole bunch of cells that collectively gather once in a while. We're not a church, we're an amoeba. That's not what it says. We have responsibility. I got home on Sunday. Estel said, great sermon. Will you take out the garbage now? Okay. Why? Because it was full. Because Monday morning's trash day at the house. The garbage was full, so I had to take it out. There's three areas of responsibility I want to just quickly hit before we close. The first is personally. Whether it's in your family, or maybe you're single, away from home, and there's a collection of, of friends that function as your spiritual family or the, or the social family, we have to learn to live within that. We have to learn to love, to care, to listen, be vulnerable, to allow for intimacy, all of the things that make relationship healthy. It's your practice ground, but it's also significant because if you don't do that, you end up lonely. You end up isolated and you end up vulnerable to the enemy. If you do those things, you end up strong. You have protection around you. You can't love somebody by yourself. There has to be another. There has to be an object of your love. Loneliness is defeated in friendship with others. There's no accountability by yourself. You're the most willing to lie to yourself of anybody else. Thinking isn't challenged if it's not shared. You can be absolutely sure and be wrong. Now you're just absolutely wrong. You need others to pray with you and you need to pray with others. God's gifts can't be exercised without the others. The next category is corporately. It's the next layer beyond friends and family, although it may include that layer. It's important for our mental health to be known and to know somebody else intimately. praying, exhorting each other. Paul doesn't say, go to church and be exhorted. He says, exhort one another. Speak life into each other. Speak health into each other. Stop each other from running in the street in front of the car. Care about each other. Play together, have fun, laugh, live life but come together for teaching. Be part of something bigger than yourself that's significant. Bring your gifts to bear because we need you. There are some ministries that happen and honestly there need to be people doing those ministries or they don't happen. 
children's. Right now, anybody know what Awana is? Some of you. For the rest of you, Awana is an amazing discipleship program ministry. And we've been running it here for years. Because of lack of volunteers, Door Creek is stopping theirs. City Church is putting theirs on hold. Um, I think most every club in town is shutting down. And we don't want to. But we need help. The key thing about Awana is it's built around memorizing Scripture. I've met so many people in my, in my time as a person who understood Scripture because they learned a ton of it as a kid. And they can quote Scripture. And Scripture doesn't leave you. And it's critical. In the past years, we've had over 15 churches participate in Awana here. You know what that's called? Unity. God loves it. We've had leaders from those churches. I think 11 churches. It's been the most racially diverse ministry of High Point Church. But here's the sad truth. If we don't get another half a dozen leaders, we can't start it. Because the kids would come to mayhem without organization and leadership. We've got kids on Sunday morning. Now, we've got a good core of of children's ministry leaders, but we need a few more. When the mask mandate lifts, if it does, we can open up kids' ministry second service. We're going to need more teachers. See, we got comfortable during COVID of not showing up in those roles, but they're responsibility roles. But I know a couple guys that started teaching 40-some years ago and just fell in love. You guys remember Pastor Vince Pieri? He came to me one day and he said, "Uh, will you write me a recommendation letter to be a senior pastor? And I said, no. He said, why? I'm ready. I said, no, you're not. You don't know anything about kids and family. Well, what's that mean? I said, at least six weeks teaching three-year-olds. You should have seen the look on his face. I said, no, I don't care if they're threes, but in kids. Three weeks later, he says, can I apply for the job of the kids pastor? I said, why? He said, I love them. I said, no. <laughs> he said, why? I said, you don't know enough. Come back and see me in another three months. Just about three months to the date, he goes, now? <laughs> I said, yes. And for the next three years, he did a masterful job because he fell in love with a part of the body he didn't really know existed. His idea of a kid was not something favorable. And then we get to a little bit older people. We've got wonderful small groups. And we've got good leaders. But we need some people to help just with some of the things around on Sunday morning, connections and and serving coffee and, and doing the hospitality things. This morning at 12.30, Aaron Hesse will be doing a training on the back patio um, just about being on the Connections and Hospitality teams. If that's something you want to do, attend. If you want to help in kids, get a hold of, of Gwen Schrader. Just call the office and we'll get all the information you need. I imagine it's on the next steps. By the way, that's not the only thing we want you to go away with this morning. (laughs) We want you to go away with the conviction of God's Word, too. 
externally. What would happen if the churches in Madison decided that they actually belong together and asked, what could we do for the kingdom of God? Worship team, you want to come on up? What could we collectively do to demonstrate care in our community? What would happen? I don't know, but I want to find out. What would happen if all the pastors weren't afraid of sheep stealers, but instead we protected one another and we encouraged one another in God's word? What would happen if it wasn't strange for a church to bless another church? What would God's body look like in Madison? But see, none of those things will happen if we don't believe it right here. Paul thought it was important because God thinks it's important. And if God thinks it's important, then we need to figure it out. We need to do it. We don't need to like it, but we'll learn to. Because I've met a lot of you, and you're good people. You're wonderful people. The gifts in this room are amazing, as are the people that hold them. Let's worship. As we respond, we just